Open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Welcome if uh, you're visiting us for the first time. Glad that you're here. And we have been, the last two weeks, we've been looking at scripture in light of uh, that big wooden sign out front that says the well, right? And uh, when we started construction about nine months ago, uh, this is a very, apparently a very healthy neighborhood because they walk, their dogs, and they run, and you know, every day as Bill and the construction crew were here, they would pass by and get more comfortable and have conversation. And, and ultimately, uh, the name The Well would come up pretty frequently, and, and Bill would have a chance to share, well, what does that mean? What's the significance? And, and the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the significance of wells in, in Scripture, you know. Uh, we didn't just want to come up with some cool, catchy name uh, and hang a, hang a shingle out there. There was some, some significance to it, and, and, and it's meaningful. And, and really, the heart of, of why we call this the well, as we've seen the last two Sundays, is, is it, it's at the well we've seen where, where God has conversation. The first week it was the Samaritan woman, and we're going to look at that again in John 4. And last week in Genesis, it was Hagar, right? And if you remember, if you were here last week, Hagar had, had come out of a very difficult situation with Abram and Sarai, and she runs away. And, and in Genesis 16, she's out in the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord appears, many people believe it was Jesus, and, and says, hey, Hagar, where have you come from, and where are you going? Right? It's not that he didn't know, but he wanted her to kind of have a time of reflection. Where did you come from, and where are you going? And then we saw that in, in the first week together, in John 4, that Jesus and the Samaritan woman, he knew her story. He knew her current living conditions, and, and, and it was that knowledge of her story that made her think, Oh man, who is this guy? Is this the Messiah? How does he know this about me? And, and the first week, we, we were really, really struck by the fact that, that God knows our stories. Everybody in here has a story, right? And, and if you're like me, uh, you probably have some chapters titled, Shoulda, Woulda, Coulda. <laughs> right? You probably have some chapters in your story, in your life story, that you go, eee, let's skip that chapter. Right? And maybe if you ever if you have a relationship with the Lord, you come to that chapter, and that title might be "Met Jesus," and suddenly your your story took a completely different turn. Amen. Amen. Not perfect. You're not perfect, but man, oh man, what you're writing and then what you even write today in your story with Jesus is radically different. And and so He knows our story. He wants to be a part of our story, and He has a wonderful plan for your story. Hagar last week, at this time in her story, she'd come out of a very difficult circumstance. And you remember last week, the Lord said, Hagar, go back. What? Go back. Because she had said, I'm running away. Right? And, and last Sunday, the Lord really spoke to many about situations in your life and in my life where maybe we tend to run away. 
Ah, that's how I'm going to deal with it. Anyone? Huh? You got things? Ah, I'm deal with it. Right? We're really good at finding other things to do. How many of you ever had like a chore, a honeydew? And it's amazing how many things you can find to do other than the honeydew. Right? Well, I gotta wash the car. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. Everything but the thing that needs to be done. Right? We're good at running. We're good at distracting ourselves. We're good at sort of, right? And, and the angel of the Lord understood her condition and said, Hagar, go back. But you're not going to go back the same. As a result of her interaction with the angel of the Lord, she's going back in relationship with the Lord with a promise. You see? And that's the incredible thing. That's the wonderful privilege and joy we have as believers in Jesus. That we can now go back or work through situations at work, at home, in relationships, completely different. As a new creation in Christ. As a new creation in Christ. Oftentimes, when we, or when I feel like running away from situations, it's because I'm done. I've tried everything. I'm exhausted. Nothing seems to work. Peace out. Right? And into that mindset, the Lord says, no, wait a sec. Time out here. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You can, in my power and for my glory, go back into that situation. Go back into that situation. Anybody here ever felt a little bit funny going to a high school reunion? Okay, now there's the physical part of that, right? <laughs> right? There's the physical part. Oh, man, got to start working out six months ahead of time, right? <laughs> Color my hair, right? And start Facebook stalking people. Oh, I don't look as bad as her, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> see, see, I know you all do this. I know you all do this. So there's that element of the physicality of the weirdness of high school reunion. But then there's that element of high school reunion, especially if you're now a believer, What are they going to think about me? Because the last time I hung out with this crew, I wasn't a believer. Right? And I've shared with, with you in the past, you know, uh, coming from San Diego, we've been here 18 years, and, and after high school, I went to UCLA, so I kind of like skid out real quick, right out of high school. And I really never went back. I hung out a few times with my friends from high school. Never really went back. Got saved in Los Angeles and got into ministry, and now we've been here. And so it's always a bit interesting. I was invited to a dinner towards the end of last month, around Christmas actually. One of my friends from high school contacted me. I don't have a Facebook, so he contacts me through my kids. He says, hey, next time you're in San Diego, we wanna, we're doing a dinner. Hey, great. <laughs> I kid you not. I mean, I, I see the pictures, and these are my boys, and we had some good times in high school and everything, but I wasn't a believer. And I go, ah, oh, I talk to my wife, oh man, this is going to be weird. <laughs> this is going to be weird. And then, of course, I'm like, can you come with me? <laughs> <laughs> Big chicken, <laughs> can you come with me? This is going to be weird. And, and it's so strange because, you know, not only am I a believer, but I'm a pastor. <laughs> Think about that, right? Kind of crazy. Especially for them. <laughs> And so it's strange, you walk into the restaurant, hey, 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 so what do you do, what do you do, right? I try to always deflect, ask, ask 50 million questions so they don't have a chance to ask me. 
And inevitably, what do you do now? I heard. Uh, yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and it's amazing just to see the look. <laughs> that, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and it's this weird thing because I'm going back into this situation as a new creation. I'm going back with a new identity. I'm going back with a new storyline. And yet, the discomfort is they're interpreting and interacting with me, kind of no fault of their own, of how they knew me before. And that's part of our joy and privilege and even our challenge as believers as we walk forward with Jesus is, yeah, he's going to transform you. We spent all last year talking about transformation and metamorphosis, right? The caterpillar to a butterfly. When you come to know Jesus, there's this process of sanctification, which will take you through your whole life on this planet. And the challenge is, as he transforms you from the inside out, you're getting changed, you're celebrating it, but the people around you may not understand. The people at work, your friends, your family, they may not understand, and quite frankly, they may not like it. They just, they might find even resistance and conflict as much as here on a Sunday we celebrate transformation. Yes, walk with Jesus, let him grow. And this is walk in newness of life. Yes, 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 yes. And then you leave here and you're kind of excited, you're enthusiastic, and you want to go to work tomorrow. And you go, you just, okay, today at work, I'm going to, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you walk in tomorrow and you're like, hey, 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 hey. And they're like, what happened to you? Oh, <laughs> uh, you went to church. You went to church. Uh, now you're in Jesus. You wanted in Jesus first, right? And if you're not careful, it can rock your world. Because you want to walk in newness of life. You want to go back even to situations that, that you were running away from. And the faith step, the dependence step, is to say, Lord, I'm going to do this for your glory and in your strength. Amen? You gotta stay focused. You gotta stay focused. So these two conversations at the well, the Samaritan woman and Hagar in Genesis 16, have really brought us to this place of understanding that that our walk with Jesus is very personal. It's a very personal thing. We all have stories, personal stories. He puts us into a church family, and in this family, in this room right here, there's a diversity of stories. He's working on all this. The crazy thing is, isn't, isn't God, it's, it's crazy to think that at this very second, God is working on everyone's story in this room simultaneously. He knows all of your needs, all of my needs. He knows everything about you, everything about me. And simultaneously, he's loving each one of us 100%. Isn't that crazy? Right? And it's very personal. It's a very personal, relational thing. And, and this happens in the context of a well, at the well. And... And, and I thought of that song. I think if you had that song, we just sang a wonderful song. But look at the chorus. Look at the chorus. It says, oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. Next one. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever reign. Isn't that kind of crazy? Here's the thing. I told you I, I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, and, and we sang songs and everything, but nothing like that. That's personal. 
Nothing compares to your embrace. Right? Right? Go back to the first one, Miley. Right? I'm running to your arms. I never, in, in, in up to a certain point in my life, in my story, I never understood God wanted that level of a personal relationship with me. Right? And, and, and through circumstances, I had to work through the, my own un- discomfort with that. Right? As a guy, maybe more so, you know, just like, ah, oh, I was never really a touchy feely guy. And, you know, my, me and my friends were like, ah, oh, you know. <laughs> that kind of guy, you know? So then all of a sudden we start singing these songs. I'm running to your arms, nothing, you know, I'm embraced. And we're like, I'm crying. Why am I crying now, right? You ever been in a worship thing and you just start crying? Like, what's up with that? That's crazy, right? And so God touches your heart and it becomes very personal. Right? It becomes very personal, very real, and it's just part of our story. It's just part of our story. And as we continue to move forward, uh, in John 4, I wanted to circle back because we've got to look at the basis of this personal relationship. How does We may want it. We may be scared. We actually may be terrified of this personal nature of, of walking in with Jesus and letting him embrace us and everything, right? But in John 4, we see what is, what is the starting point? And, and my, my prayer for us this morning is, is to, to really understand the personal nature of, of what God desires for us in a relationship, right? So in John 4, Jesus is going through a region called Samaria, right? Let's start in John 4, verse 1. The Pharisees, uh, Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So to help you understand, Jesus is traveling north through Israel, in between where he is and Galilee, there's a region called Samaria. And in Samaria, the Samaritans live. Now the Jews and the Samaritans have hundreds of years of conflict. The Samaritans had intermarried with foreigners. The Jews now looked down upon them because they were no longer pure. And so for centuries, just open, blatant hostility. Right? In fact, usually, rabbis and other Jews would either go west or east around the region of Samaria. To go directly through was sort of not accepted, not even common. So Jesus decides, well, we've got to get to Galilee. I'm going right down the middle, right? So he comes through Samaria, and it's about 6 p.m. on Roman time. When it says it was about the sixth hour under Roman, the Roman clock, that would be about 6 p.m. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you... Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Right? So, one, she's a Samaritan. Two, she's a Samaritan woman. Right? And three, it said when he says, Will you give me a drink? And her reply, Uh... 
How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? What that picture is of what's happening there when he says, can you give me a drink? He says, hey, can you give me a drink from your bucket? And her response is, what are you talking about, dude? Jews and Samaritans, where it says uh, they don't do anything together, it means that they don't use together. They don't use the same utensils. See, the Jews considered the Samaritans continuously unclean. So they would never use, talk to them, or even use one of their utensils, or else the Jew would be considered unclean. So this woman is wigging out. She's like, what? Are you talking to me? It's one of those, are you talking to me? Right? She has this moment. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So in the context, do you remember when Jesus uh, first called his fisherman voice, right? And he says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, come follow me. From now on, you're going to catch men, right? So Jesus is really sharp. He's a great conversationalist. He says, these are fishermen. Let me just throw some gospel truth regarding fishermen, right? Here's a Samaritan woman that comes out to a physical well to draw physical water to deal with a physical need called thirst. Jesus, being a great conversationalist, evangelist, right, says, hey, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Right? Very intentionally throws out this living water phrase. And then they have this dialogue that we just read. But here's the thing. She doesn't get it. She struggles with trying to understand because she's interpreting everything that Jesus is saying in the physical realm. Living water? Okay. Don't really get that. Then he says, I'm never going to thirst again. Oh, like that. Remember the region they're in, Middle East. Hot, dusty, dirty. Every day they got to go draw. So this reality of thirst and this reality of physical labor to quench that physical thirst, very real. So on a certain level, Jesus is presenting something pretty darn good. Intrigued, sir. Oh, wait. Living water, I'm never going to thirst again, and I, it, 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 it'll well up, it'll be its own source. I don't have to come here and draw anymore. See what she's doing? She's interpreting it, doing her best. I mean, give her credit. She's doing her best to try to figure out what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I remember when I would go to Bible studies when I wasn't, uh, didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and, and I. I my wife, even, you know, we were dating back then, she brought me to a church, a Christian church for the first time. And it was all new to me. And even these kinds of passages and, and just 
singing. And, and I was like, what is going on right now? What is going on? And I share with you, you know, we all get a good laugh at the first Bible study I went to in someone's living room, and they're all singing songs with guitars, and they're closing their eyes, and they're doing this. And I'm like, what is going on? This is kind of weird, right? And then, and then, if it's Bible study, at the end, it's prayer time. And remember, Roman Catholic tradition, right? Roman Catholic, drilled. I could still go to St. Thomas and do a Mass. I, it's drilled. It's drilled. I still know all my prayers, right? 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 We know it. So at the end of this Bible study, it's prayer time. So the women disappear to another room. And the guys are supposed to circle up around the dining table. So Nadine, my crutch, leaves. <laughs> and I'm all alone. <laughs> and I sit around the table. Uh, and they try to make me comfortable. Oh, we just share prayer requests here. We just, you know, whatever's on your heart. Right? Oh, okay, cool. You don't have to talk if you don't want to. You don't have to pray if you don't want to. Okay, cool. Thanks. Appreciate that. And then they do this crazy thing. <laughs> like you're supposed to hold hands. Like dudes around the dining table. Holding hands. Talking to God. Weird, man. It's like, okay. And then, the cre- you've all done it. I know many of you, right? Then you're smart enough to realize it's going around. <laughs> you're like, oh, man. Come on. Why, we, why can't we just like zing it around and maybe not realize I didn't I didn't skip, right? But no. <laughs> Anyone? Anxiety level. Through the roof. Right? And you just And this is my first time. I don't know how to talk to God. I don't have a relationship, right? And it just seems like an eternity of silence. Can someone please talk? <laughs> right? And, and so I, I'm trying to, like, I really feel for her. She's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Living water, never thirst again, welling up, spring, eternal life. She's got to be like, I don't get this. I don't, I don't get this, right? And then, and then, you know, verse 13, it closes. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So Jesus says, okay, like, here's, here's the deal. I'm not talking the physical realm. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about salvation, eternal life, right? And eventually in verse 26, he says, I'm Messiah. So we learn if we read the whole passage that he's really speaking about spiritual truth. He's speaking to her about this living water that results in salvation, eternal life, right? Through him, the Messiah. This is the first time in John that he actually, this is the first time that Jesus actually says, hey, I'm Messiah. Others had declared him, but this is the first time in verse 26 where Jesus declared, I speak to you, I'm he. This is the first time Jesus to a Samaritan, very first time, says, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. And then it goes back to verse 10, right? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. So as a whole, Jesus is having this conversation with this wonderful Samaritan woman who's trying her best to get it. And he says, Here, here's the deal. I'm the Messiah. The one you guys are looking for, I'm Messiah, I'm Christ. And this living water is, is really a picture of a relationship with me. A salvation relationship with me. Right? And if you turn to John 7, he even gets more specific. Turn to John 7, just a couple pages to your right. Look at John 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Right, so back to John 4. He speaks in John 4, sort of in broad terms of eternal life, salvation. John 7, he gets very specific. This living water is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Right? And in Galatians 5, you see this wonderful, wonderful comparison between life in the flesh and life what? In the Spirit. In the Spirit. And what he's saying here is, hey, Come to me. Come to me. Messiah. Christ. And it gets real personal. Because I'm talking about living water. Here's the thing. To quench your deepest needs. Your deepest, not material thirst, your deepest spiritual, relational, emotional thirst. That's what he's talking about. And in, in Scripture, even back in the Old Testament, God seen as water and living water, very powerful. Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw from water, draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So even in the Old Testament, God is water. God is living water. God is pouring out water. It's very powerful symbolism. It's a very powerful image that, that I'm guessing the Samaritan woman may have been familiar with. Right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, you know all those images? about God being the fountain of life and pouring out streams of water and, and enjoying all of that, that's found in me. And it gets personal real quick between her and Jesus. And she has to make this decision because he says, hey, who you're looking for? It's me. And I, and I shared, I shared you know, two weeks ago my own journey. Again, going to Bible studies, coming to church, reading scripture for myself, reading other books. I had to answer that question. Who is Jesus? It's a very personal question. All of us have to answer. Who is Jesus? Because in John 4, he says, come to me and you'll never thirst again. We're all powerful. We've all got to answer that. Because deep down, as humans, we're thirsty. 
we are. Right? Turn to Jeremiah. It's in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 2. Look at this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, right? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You can look in your table of contents if you can debate number. <laughs> Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Jeremiah 2.13. Before we read that, don't turn there, but Jeremiah, if you're taking notes, here's Jeremiah 17.13. Jeremiah 17.13 says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Right? Now look at Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Two things are going on here. They've forsaken the source, the spring of living water, God, and what he's saying is, and now you know what they're doing? They kind of bought into the world system here, and now they're digging cisterns. Cistern was kind of like a well. They would carve it out of limestone or rock, and they would plaster it to try to seal it. But what he's talking about here, the imagery here, is when they tried to plaster it to seal it so no water leaked, it was a crack in the plaster. And so what he's saying is, my people, the physical imagery, they're digging all these cisterns to try to catch rainwater. Right? Now, catch this imagery. When they say living water in the Bible, it usually means a spring. Something bubbling up, a spring. Cisterns were designed to catch rainwater. That would be stale, stagnant. The word is brackish, you know, unpleasant, salty after a while. So they, they're digging these cisterns with cracks in the walls and the plaster, and they're pouring in water, but it keeps draining, keeps leaking. And what the imagery in Jeremiah 2.13 is saying is, Hey, my people, they've walked away from me the spring of living water, and now all they're doing is they're digging these cisterns and they're trying to find fulfillment, they're trying to find satisfaction, they're trying to quench their thirst, and it just keeps leaking. It just keeps leaking. It doesn't even hold water. And I thought about this because this Samaritan woman, she very understood physical thirst, she understood labor, and suddenly Jesus is like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I'm not talking, I'm talking about something much deeper, much more important. And for you and I, the question is, are you, am I, more focused on enjoying a relationship with God through Jesus, the spring of living water? Or are we still busy digging broken cisterns? Trying to find fulfillment. Trying to find satisfaction. Trying to find purpose. Trying to find meaning. Trying to find identity. Trying to find esteem. Trying to find approval. Trying to belong somewhere. Trying to be successful. Trying to wonder if we matter to anybody. 
Are we trying in, 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 in our own way to meet these deepest thirsts as humans the world's way? The world's way. And, and we're burnt out and we're exhausted and we're tired, but it's all we've known maybe until today. Maybe it's just how you were raised. Maybe you didn't know any better that there was even another option. That's kind of how I was uh, with the best of intentions. I was raised, you, go, you, you, you do well in school. I went the honors track, graduated, went to UCLA, going to be political science. Actually, I was going to be a computer engineer. <coughs> so I went to political science. Then I was going to go be a lawyer, went to law school, all because I thought, and nothing wrong with this. Believe me, nothing wrong with it, except, except that my motive in my heart, if I was honest, was all about me. And status and money and symbol and career was all designed to fill this cistern called self. And, and the challenging part was it kind of worked to a point. And then along comes uh, people in my life who know Jesus and they say, hey, you know, there's another way. There's another way. And the challenging part of my story was I was raised with this. And the good grades and everything and all these external things that validated me and made me feel good and kept and said, you're on the right track, you're on the right, just keep doing that. And all along comes all these people say, no, just love Jesus and let him love you. Right? This whole relational Jesus loves you and, and you're going to be a new creation and get a new identity and it's not about works and you can't earn it. and All this thing that, that really flipped my world upside down because... It wasn't about me digging my broken cisterns. It was about me saying, Jesus, I need you. Yeah, I just need you. I need your living water. So this morning, the question for us is, are you still digging and trying to fill up broken cisterns? For whatever. Maybe, maybe it's how you look, the clothes you wear, the hair, the car you drive, the house, all because it's designed to make you feel good inside, get, get, get an accolade, get an attaboy, out a girl, make you feel significant. If you're going that way, you're going to be disappointed. It's a broken cistern that just leaks. That's, and, and, and we've got to be real careful, because here's the thing, guys. That mentality leads into the church. And what I mean by this, I shared this with the worship team today before we rehearsed. If we're not careful, our ministries and serving in the church are cisterns that we use to still fill us up. See, you got to be real careful. Someone should not be behind this to try to feel good about themselves. If I'm up here, and this is a cistern, and I feel good about a facility, and I feel good about attendance, and I feel good about great sermon, good job, ah, if I feel good about that, you know what I've done? I'm just, it's just another, it's another cistern. It's the Christian version of being an attorney. It's status. It's status. Even in ministry, it can be status. If we're not careful, it's a heart issue. But that goes across the board, whether it's children's ministry, anything. We gotta be real careful that even in a Christian context, we're not 
digging our own cisterns to make us feel good about us. That's what, you know, I was real honest with our leadership team before we got here. I said, guys, we have to be very, very careful because this is so nice of a facility that it could be a trap. This could be a broken system. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah, it's a nice broken system. If we're hanging our esteem and our value and our identity on the place. Amen? This is a trap too. This could be nothing but a leaky, broken cistern. If we're hanging our hat on, hey, check this out, the well, you know, ooh, you know. It's just a broken cistern. As broken as anything else we were doing. If it's about me getting what I need out of this. And you know why it's challenging to, 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 to get, go down that road of broken cisterns? Because we're around broken people. And broken people tend to not be nice all the time. And broken people tend to be critical. And broken people tend not to do things my way or your way. And broken people, we usually end up in conflict or we step on toes, even accidentally. So if I'm investing all of my energy and time into this broken cistern, and I'm going to be around broken people, that is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for disaster. And I've shared with you before, if you're visiting, you know, I've shared with you, we, we, we kind of try, we take God super serious around here. doesn't mean we have to be somber, and we try to be authentic. You saw the announcements of visiting. That's us, right? And Ernie still dresses well, right? So that's us. We're, we are who we are. And, and, and I mean that in a way that, that, look, the church is made up of redeemed people, but imperfect redeemed people in process. So we're going to make mistakes. We're going to step on toes. We're going to have a oopsie moment. But the Bible tells us how to deal with that. You ask for forgiveness, you own it, you reconcile. And you move forward. You remember how um, he talked about what if marriage is about holiness and not happiness? How many of you love that? Mm, right? Well, the church is the same way. We talked about this before. What is the purpose of the church? Really not to make you happy. Our desire is your holiness, your godliness. And, and we've used this illustration before. It's like a rock tumbler. How many remember the days of the rock tumbler? Pretty cool, right? Put it in there. And they all come out and you go, right? Remember the rock tumbler? How do you think the rocks felt? You ever put yourself in the vision of the rocks? You're all excited. They're going to be so pretty. It's going to be so nice. They look horrible. And now they're, they're so pretty. Did you ask the rock? Who was in the tumbler? Get off me! Ah, ah, get off me! Ah, you again? You again? The process wasn't pleasant, but the product was beautiful. Amen. Welcome to church. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, "I'm in here with you." Go ahead. Turn to the person next to you. I'm in here with you. You sit, who's sitting next to someone that, that God's used to chip you a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer that. Just <laughs> We're all in this together. Amen. 
Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, I know you have physical needs. I know you work really hard to meet them. But I'm offering you a gift. All you got to do is ask. I'm offering you a gift that will meet not just your physical needs, your deepest spiritual need. And that same offer is to us today. Just ask. It's a gift. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Not by works. Not, don't dig another cistern. Give him the shovel. Say, Jesus, here, I'm tired. It all leaks. It leaks. You ever spend time on a project at home? That just going to be awesome, right? Like I had graduation coming up, and I had family coming in, so I thought. So I spent weeks on the backyard. Da 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 da. Right? That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. They're going to love my backyard. They're going to love my backyard, right? They come. No one spent the night in our house. <laughs> All my lofty plans for them to go, man, great backyard, that's awesome. Right? All my plans to get a little bit of an attaboy on my backyard, and they all got hotel rooms for the wedding somewhere else. No one even came to the house. Really? It was a broken cistern, because it was sort of about me, you know, like, this is kind of cool. They didn't even come to the house. We all do that. How many of us are investing time and energy into something and really, what happened? What happened? In your life, in my life, Jesus says, come to me. Whoever drinks, living water. That's all he wants to give you. He wants the song he wants to give you. And so, worship team, come on up. We're going to just spend a few moments in prayer. Worship team will lead us through a song. And then we'll, we'll uh, take communion together and be dismissed. Okay? So let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time. Thank you that you desire a personal relationship. And thank you that you offer us living water. And maybe some of us don't, don't really get that just yet. That's okay. By faith. My prayer is that we would simply ask you, Jesus, Messiah, just ask you for living water. It's the free gift of God, salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Lord, maybe there's somebody here maybe even been in the church for a while and serve faithfully, serve dutifully, and maybe today they're, they're asking, Lord, what's been the motive? Is my serving in the church more about me? Is my serving in the church a cistern that I'm trying to get something out of for my sake? Lord, forgive me for So this morning, Jesus says, John 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. 
So Lord, we take this time just to allow you to speak to our hearts. And, and the song we're about to sing is really about the heart of worship, the heart of why we do what we do. It's a very personal song. It's a very um, real song <clears throat> about loving Jesus and letting him love us back. <clears throat> As we leave, I want to leave you with a word of encouragement. A long time ago, several years ago, I went on a mission trip to the Philippines, the southern island. And if you've ever been to the Philippines, you know it's like 90 plus percent humidity and it's 90 plus degrees. Well, we're on the southern island and basketball is the sport. So we're on this island and we go into the jungles and we put together our basketball team for our mission team. And we want to challenge this local village team, and so we trek in there, and lo and behold, there's a basketball court in the middle of the jungle. Pretty amazing. And we challenged them, right, to basketball. And we had been warned about, you know, the water source and all that, so we weren't, we weren't going to drink the water. So we're, we start this basketball game, and we're going at it, crazy humidity, crazy heat, and the only thing they had uh, to offer us to drink was Coke. So they started bringing out two liters and, and bottles of Coke in 90 degree heat and 90 plus humidity. And that's all we had. So we're playing and we're sweating profusely and all we're doing and all we have to drink is Coca-Cola. Needless to say, by the end of the game, we were more thirsty and more done than when we started because that Coke did nothing. It made it worse. It made the thirst worse. And my encouragement to you as you head out of here and, and into the choices we're all going to have to make, there is an alternative. And maybe what you've been drinking and how you've been going about things are leaving you more thirsty than when you started. Stay in the source of the living water this week. Amen? Amen. 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 If you're feeling thirsty, if you're getting kind of dry, if you're getting cranky, if you're getting burnt out, if the person next to you lovingly is driving you up the wall, <laughs> go to the living water. Go to the living water and say, I, I can't do this, Lord, but I'm going to come to the living water and let you through your spirit flow through me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you until we gather once again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.